Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 5 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poet's Corner, and appendage to a series of books written under the banner In Defense of Christianity. This segment is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Book 1, Canto 12, Part 3, Episode 40. Podcast 10 is entitled, The Red Cross Knight is Betrothed to Una. In last week's episode, none dared approach the corpse of the dead dragon, which stretched out for acres, his body as high as a mountain. His tail alone was as long as three football fields. Led by the king and queen, the entire country celebrated the death of the dragon, which held them in captivity for four years. The Red Cross Knight is treated as a conquering hero, and Una is recognized as a princess, the daughter of the king and queen. A great feast was held. As was customary in tales of knight errantry, after they had feasted, the king called upon the Red Cross Knight to recount his adventures before he released them from the great dragon. Then when with meats and drinks of every kind their fervent appetites they quenched had, that ancient lord gan fit occasion find of strange adventures and of perils sad, which in his travel him befallen had for to demand of his renowned guest, who then with utterance grave and countenance sad from point to point, as is before expressed, discoursed his voyage long according his request. The king and queen are overwhelmed at the pitiful adventures recounted by the Red Cross Knight. The tales the knight told brought tears to everyone's eyes. Great pleasures mixed with pitiful regard that godly king and queen did passionate. While they his pitiful adventures heard, that oft they did lament his luckless state, and often blame the too importuned fate that heaped on him so many wrathful wrecks. For never gentle knight, as he of late so tossed was in fortune's cruel freak, and all the while salt tears bedonned the hearer's cheeks. Knight errantry means wandering knight. In medieval romance literature, it was common for a knight to recount his adventures to the edification of others. A knight represents the ideal person such as King Arthur in The Fairy Queen. Their tales were generated as the knight errant was embarked upon some noble quest, such as the Red Cross Knight and the Fiery Dragon. The tales of the knights of King Arthur particularly express Christian virtues, such as the tales of King Arthur, Sir Gawain, Sir Galahad, Sir Percival. In the tale of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, Sir Gawain's greatest sin was withholding the scarf of Sir Bertilac's wife, which he thought had magic powers. His cowardliness caused Sir Gawain excruciating remorse, which he humbly confessed to the other knights of the round table. In the Red Cross Knight's quest, he was threatened by dragons. Evil magicians, giants, 
wicked seductresses, an evil knight such as sans joy, sans foy and sans loy, which mean without joy, without faith, and without law. The wise king told the Red Cross Knight that he had borne great evils from the beginning to the end of his great enterprise, such that he had never heard greater. He blessed God for bringing the Red Cross Knight to his shores. The king recommends that they devise a means of ease and eternal rest. Then said the royal pair in sober wise, Dear son, great been the evils which ye bore from first to last in your late enterprise that I note whether praise or pity more. For never living man I ween so sore in sea of deadly dangers was distressed. But since now safe ye ceased have the shore and well arrived are, I God be blessed. Let us devise of ease an everlasting rest. However, the Red Cross Knight rejects the offer of everlasting rest. He says he must return to the fairy queen and serve her for six more years in battle against the pagan king. He begs the king's pardon until he has completed his mission. Ah, dearest lord, said then the doughty knight, of ease or rest I may not yet devise. For by the faith which I to arms have plied, I bounden and straight after this enterprise, as that your daughter can ye well advise back to return to that great fairy queen and her to serve six years in warlike wise gainst the proud Paynim king that works her teen. Therefore I ought to crave pardon till I there have been. The king laments that such a mission falls from hard necessity, but he understands that which has been done cannot be undone. The Red Cross Knight must fill his mission before he can return. A knight should never break a vow. However, as soon as his six years are up, then the Red Cross Knight should return to his kingdom and marry his daughter Una. The marriage, of course, is symbolic of holiness, represented by the Red Cross Knight, and oneness, represented by Una. They should be joined together forever in eternal felicity. Knights are the embodiment of the virtues they represent. They are the standard bearers, the models for all of us. That is why they must recount their adventures. That is the purpose of the epic story. The Holy Bible is also written in just such an epic format. Rather than knights in shining armor, it is the story of prophets and kings and queens and great men and women of renown. Epic writers followed that model. The king said, Unhappy false that hard necessity, quoth he the troubler of my happy peace, and vowed foe of my felicity. Nee I against the same can justly peace, but since that band ye cannot now release, nor doin' undo, for vows may not be vain, soon as the term of those six years shall cease, ye then shall hither back return again, the marriage to accomplish vowed, betwixt you twain. The king told the Red Cross Knight that he had sworn to the world that whoever killed the dragon should marry his only daughter and become heir apparent to his kingdom. Which for my part I covet to perform, in short, as though the world I did proclaim, that whoso killed that monster most deform, 
of him in hardy battle overcame should have my only daughter to his dame, and of my kingdom heir apparent be. Therefore, since now to thee pertains the same by due desert of noble chivalry, both daughter and eke kingdom, lo, I yield to thee. The king calls forth his beautiful daughter Una, his only heir. She appeared as bright as the morning star, bringing light to the world. Then forth he called that his daughter fair, the fairest Un, his only daughter dear, his only daughter and his only heir, who forth proceeding with sad sober cheer, as bright as doth the morning star appear out of the east, with flaming locks bedight, to tell that dawning day is drawing near, and to the world doth bring long-wished light, so fair and fresh, that lady showed herself in sight. If you recall, Una had always appeared rather hidden behind a veil, her beauty never before displayed. She was honored by all those who knew her, but taken for granted by those who didn't. Even the great people in the House of Holiness honored Una and paid deference to her, for they recognized her superiority and her royal birth. Now, for the first time, Una appears in her splendor, which is as bright as the eastern star. Una symbolizes everything that is good and pure. If you recall, even lions and satyrs were tamed before the power of Una. Only the very wicked wanted to destroy her but Una was always protected by some peculiar source. She was delivered from the wicked magician Archimago, and from the lawless Sansloy, and from the old witch, and from the wild people of the woods. King Arthur himself interrupted his quest to help Una deliver the Red Cross Knight from the dungeon of the giant Orgoglio. Without Una, the Red Cross Knight would have been destroyed and never would have been able to deliver her parents from the dragon. Without Una, the Red Cross Knight never would have become St. George. So fair and fresh, as freshest flower in May, for she had laid her mournful stolo side, and widow-like sad wimple thrown away, wherewith her heavenly beauty she did hide whilst on her weary journey she did ride. And on her now a garment she did wear, all lily-white, withouten spot or pride that seemed like silk and silver woven near, but neither silk nor silver therein did appear. Spencer confesses that his poor rhymes are too rude and base to truly describe the luster of Una's glorious face. He compares her to a celestial sight. Of course, the word celestial suggests both the light of the sun and the glory of heaven and even of God. It was the Apostle Paul who compared celestial bodies with the resurrection of the dead who inherited the kingdom of God. There are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Spencer is suggesting that Una is clothed with the celestial light of God, suggesting her purity, which is compared with the glory of the light of Christ. The blazing brightness of her beauty's beam and glorious light of her sunshiny face, 
to tell were as to strive against the stream. My ragged rhymes are all too rude and base, her heavenly liniments for to encase. Me wonder, for her own dear loved knight, all were she daily with himself in place, did wonder much at her celestial sight. Oft had he seen her fair, but never so fair dight. Una paid humble reverence to her father, which only added grace to her own grandeur. However, the ceremony was suddenly interrupted by a messenger carrying ominous letters. So fairly dight, when she in presence came, she to her sire made humble reverence, and bowed low, that her right well became, and added grace unto her excellence. Who with great wisdom and grave eloquence thus gan to say, but ere he thus had said with flying speed, and seeming great pretense came running in, much like a man dismayed, a messenger with letters, which his message said. Everyone stopped, amazed at the suddenness of the messenger, and wondered why such haste. The messenger would give his message only to the king. He fell flat before his majesty and humbly kissed the ground. He handed the king the message. All in the open hall amazed stood at suddenness of the unwary sight, and wondered at his breathless hasty mood. But he for naught would stay his passage right, till fast before the king he did alight. Where falling flat, great humbleness he did make, and kissed the ground whereon his foot was pight. Then to his hands that writ he did betake, which he disclosing read thus, as the paper spake. The news was horrible. The letter claimed that the Red Cross Knight had promised to wed another in another land. It claimed that he had promised to marry the daughter of the great emperor of all the West. To thee, most mighty king of Eden fair, her greeting sends in these sad lines addressed, the woeful daughter and forsaken heir of that great emperor of all the West, and bids thee be advised for the best heir thou, thy daughter linked in holy band of wedlock to that new unknown guest, for he already plighted his right hand unto another love, and to another land. The letter was written by the woman who claimed that she was betrayed by the Red Cross Knight. She claimed that their engagement was of a long time standing, that the errant knight had sworn before the holy altar. She also claimed that she sought heaven to avenge this shameful injury. To me, sad maid, or rather widow sad, he was affianced long time before, and sacred pledges he both gave and had. False errant knight, infamous and forswore. Witness the burning altars which he swore, and guilty heavens of him bold perjury, which though he hath polluted oft of yore, yet I to them for judgment just do fly, and them conjure to avenge this shameful injury. Consequently, she claimed, since the Red Cross Knight is hers alone, that the King of Eden should stop him from marrying his daughter. It is signed, Pedessa. Therefore, since mine he is, or free or bond, or false or true, or living or else dead, withhold, O sovereign prince, 
your hasty bond from knitting league with him, I you arred. Me wean my right with strength adowed to tread through weakness of my widowed or woe. For truth is strong, her rightful cause to plead, and shall find friends if need requireth so. So bids thee well to fare, thy neither friend nor foe, Fidessa. If you recall, Fidessa is really duessa, meaning duplicity, the witch who seduced the Red Cross Knight and imprisoned him in the dungeons of the giant Orgoglio. She was also the one who used Sans Foy and Sans Joy to try to kill the Red Cross Knight for killing her lover Sans Loy. She is the one who bewitched him and led him to the House of Pride. She was the witch who was exposed by Una as being foul and hideous. If you recall, Una had spared Duessa's life and allowed her to be forever exposed for the evil witch she was. From the beginning, Duessa's desire was to destroy the Red Cross Knight and to keep him from accomplishing his quest. Please join us next week as we conclude the adventures of the Red Cross Knight. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.